Hello, and welcome to this episode of Skiff Meetings Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals. My name is Andrea Doyle, and I am the senior editor of Skiff Meetings. In this episode titled Going to Bat for Louisville, I chat with Cleo Battle, president and CEO of Louisville Tourism. We talk about how his Olympic hopes were dashed, but as a result, he found the hotel restaurant management industry, and the rest is history. We talk about how destination management companies fought for years to have a seat at the table, and now that they're successful, what that means. We talked about how tourism could help improve neighborhoods, and how in Louisville in particular, wayfinding and storytelling are helping. We talk about the importance of meetings and conventions, leaving a legacy in the community they're meeting in, how diversity matters, and how he's managing political decisions in Louisville, which is located in the state of Kentucky. And finally, we chatted about the importance of telling an authentic story. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out other episodes of our podcast with tips and insights from today's most influential event professionals. You can find all the episodes on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cleo. And I was hoping you could start by sharing your journey that brought you to the top spot at Louisville Tourism. Well, that's a that's a long journey, Andrea. <laughs> um, you know, I, I and some some folks when I'm when I'm speaking to folks, I tell the story. I was a track and field athlete in college, and I. Um, this is my second or third year. I got hurt. And, um, you know, those I, those thoughts of going to the Olympics were all dashed once I got hurt. And I had to begin focusing in on school because I think for a couple of years there, I was just, my, my, my major declared was undecided. <laughs> and um, I went to speak to a counselor and the counselor talked about hotel restaurant management. And I thought to myself, the only guy I'd ever done in a hotel is trash them. But, um, <laughs> you know, I said, what the heck? And, uh, you know, I was just cruising along in school and taking the classes. And then they, uh, they came back around and said, well, you know, you need 1300 hours in a hotel to graduate. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> And of course, they they're like, did you really think you were just going to get a hotel degree and never step foot in a hotel? So uh, that's how I got started. And uh, I uh, went into management training. 
Um, and then I was an uh, assistant GM of a hotel um, in Los Angeles. I've been in Orange County. Um, I eventually moved to upstate New York where I was then in sales um, for quite some time. And then I moved to Richmond, Virginia where I was the GM of a hotel. And it was not too long after I guess I was in that job for a couple of years and um, I made the transition from the hotel to the Convention and Visitors Bureau. And I have uh, worked my way up through sales on the Convention and Visitors Bureau side ever since. Um, 17 years in sales uh, in Richmond. Um, and then I've been here in Louisville for a little over 10 years as the, uh, as the chief operating officer and then eventually the president. Okay. Where'd you go to college? I started at University of Colorado, but I finished at Metropolitan State University in Denver. Okay. They have a hospitality program there, pretty good hospitality program at Metropolitan State. Okay. But I'm from Denver originally. And when you started working in hotels, did you feel this is the career for me? I, you know, it's funny. I did not, but everyone said, wow, you're really good at this. Okay. You're just a natural. Um, I, you know, honestly, and I think, you know, when you're 21, 22 years old, whatever I was, you're, I've got to have 1300 an hour, 1300 hours to graduate. And that was what was on my mind. Okay. I just need to be the hotel. I've got to, I've got to get these hours in, but you know, eventually you find a pathway, you, you, you learn, you understand. And um, I, I did get into working at a hotel and really enjoyed it. How do you describe to your friends and family what you do now? I market the city. Okay. My job is to, to market the city to bring visitors to our community. And I mean, so when I'm talking to family or neighbors, that is, I leave it at that. I think that's that's simple enough for people to understand. Um, you know, if I'm talking in, to uh, you know, if I'm talking to a group of individuals or speaking at an event, I'll probably go more into defining visitors as leisure visitor, corporate visitors, meeting convention and event visitors, but ultimately at a CBB, DMO, whatever we're calling ourselves these days, um, your job are to bring visitors to town. Um, you know, I say this internally. I mean, there's a lot of other BS we do at, at CBB. You know, there's just a lot of other things, but our jobs are to bring visitors to the community. Right. And it seems like the role of a CVB or DMO has gotten even more all-encompassing in recent years to be marketing organizations to, you know, deal with political issues and boycotts. Yeah, no, I, I certainly would agree with that. I, I think we... It just feels like it was about 10 years ago. All we talked about when we got together as an industry was relevance. We want a seat at the table. We want a seat at the table. We want our voice to be heard in the community. Well, I think they heard us and now we're absolutely at the table and they want to know what you're going to do while you're at the table. And, and yes, so you're right. I think it's, 
uh, it's political things, whether it's, um, uh, you know, legislative issues. Uh, you know, I've, I've been the president now for almost two years, and I've been through two legislative assemblies here in the state and needing to lobby and do a lot of work. Um, some on behalf of the industry and some, you know, against uh, harmful legislation. So it, that's a that's a busy, busy part of, of this job. But, you know, I think the other thing you sort of taught, and I saw it in your questions, the other thing that's absolutely happening in a lot of our communities, you know, 10 years ago, Economic impact was, you know, and you've probably seen this power of travel slide where, you know, the visitors come in, they come by airplane, they stay in a hotel, uh, they eat at the restaurants, and then those dollars cycle throughout the community. And so that's what you talked about is the measurement for economic impact of tourism. Now, we still do that, but today, Communities want to know, you know, you've got an economic impact, but what's the social impact of tourism to a community? Um, and we spent a lot of time in that space, um, trying to fill that space and, and sort of feel where, where we want to have an impact. Um, one of my... One of my favorite sayings, Andrea, is a good place to live is a good place to visit. Mm -hmm. How can tourism contribute to making the destination a better place to live while staying in our lane? Mm -hmm. The last part of that, staying in our lane, is probably the most important part. You know, when you think about our lane and community, you think about transportation that make that helps to make a community better that helps the life of a visitor be better um, you think about uh, workforce um, that both it, it helps the community be better it helps our industry to be better so uh, working in our neighborhoods how do we drive more visitors into our, our neighborhoods and so we've tried to We've tried to say we want to help make the community better, but we just make we need to make sure it touches our lane. I don't want to be involved in affordable housing or affordable health care or dealing with drug issues of a community. That's that's that that's not in the lane of tourism. Um, and so yeah, we are uh, we're doing more and more. Uh, we talk about wayfinding. We talk about improved transportation. Um, we talk about neighborhood preservation and development. How do we make our neighborhoods better, whether it's through wayfinding, uh, whether it's improving how we tell the story of neighborhoods? How do we draw visitors into those communities? Um, we're working a lot with our airport. You know, how can we partner with the airport? So one of the things we do when the airport um, lands a new direct flight, we go into wherever that market is. So, for example, Austin, Texas. So we will do some advertising and marketing in Austin, Texas to try to get more visitors on those planes to support our flights. 
that's something that is is good for visitors. It's well, it's also good for residents. So I think you sort of see where I'm going is we try to do things where we stay in our lane. It's good for visitors and it's good for residents. And so that's sort of the social impact that, so we've got economic impact, but now there's social impact. What's your social impact? We, um, for I know this is skipped meetings. Uh, so for meetings and conventions, we've got a program that we call Leba Legacy. And what do we try to do with Leba Legacy? So prior to the pandemic, uh, convention come to town, they say, hey, let, we want to go to Dare to Care, which is our local food bank. We want to go to Dare to Care and we want to pack food for for, for folks who, who need food. And so these clients, these attendees and the meeting planner, this is how they want it. Tell us where to line up at the convention center to get on the bus, to get to Dare to Care. When we get to Dare to Care, those folks hand us everything we need. They take us where we need to pack up the food. We pack up the food. We give them back all of their stuff. We get back on the bus. You drop us off at the convention center. And that's what the meeting planner wants. Right. They want a turnkey approach to sort of this social give back that uh, conventions want. Well, that was fine prior to the pandemic. So now you get post-pandemic, local organizations like Dare to Care and Habitat for Humanity and Blessings in a Backpack, they don't have the staff now to make it turnkey. That client has got to do a little bit. You've got to help us a little bit to, to get this done. And, and so while we may still have some groups that are willing to do that, one of the things that we've tried to do with Leave a Legacy is identify 11 different organ nonprofit organizations, all very different. And we go to the, the conventions that we have planned and we say, listen, we'd love for you to make a donation to one of these organizations that aligns with your mission. Whether you want to write a check, whether you want to put a box out at registration, you know, whatever you want to do, we're trying to encourage them to um, leave a financial impact in our community. We want to have big check moments where, you know, the organization and uh, the local organization and the meeting convention that's here, they write the big check. So then it, we can begin to get back to the social impact. We want to eventually get to a point where when this community sees that there's meetings, conventions, and events, we uh, we will do through our through, <coughs> excuse me through our offices this year. We'll do close to 700 meetings, conventions, and events. If we could get a fourth of those, an eighth of those, to say we want to write a check, um, and we can do a big check moment, um, the community begins to see the value, the social value of having these meetings, conventions, and events come into the marketplace. And so that's that's kind of, that's a, a somewhat quick uh, thought on Leave a Legacy. But to your original question, yes, economic impact is still important, but social impact has become as important as well. How are you, you know, it's almost, it's almost like your communities are saying, 
tourism, we appreciate you, but we're asking everyone to help make the community better. And what are you doing to make the community better? You said you have you um, host about 700 meetings, conventions and events. Is that number where it was in 2019 pre-pandemic? No, 2019, we hosted 881. Okay. I know that number very well because I've been asked about it about 100 times. <laughs> and so um, we've got a little ways to go to get back to where we were, um, but we're, we're getting there. We're certainly getting there. And I know you lead Louisville's Tourism's new Black Tourism Advisory Council, which works to draw more diverse visitors to the city. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so BTAC and Black Tourism Advisory Council, we call it BTAC. Um, yeah, we put this together um, and it was in the, the summer of 2020. And there's three, there's three basic pillars for this group. One, uh, marketing. We want to make sure that whether it's our website or our publications, that they are representative of our community. So we want to keep our BTAC engaged in that space. Two, product development. Um, how do we, uh, because, and let me, let me start with this. When we got the BTAC together, we said, listen, we have a goal we want to grow our African-American leisure visitation from the current 11% of what it was in 2019 to 14%. And we want your help to help us do that. So we identified a goal for this group because I, I believe in goals. I think goals keep people focused. So we've got the, we got the goal. And so three areas for them, marketing, product development, let me give you an example of product development. So in this community, it was widely known that 14 of the first 28 Kentucky Derby races were won by African-American jockeys. But that story wasn't being told. And so we now tell that story. We worked with our BTAC to tell that story. Uh, Thomas Bullock, first African-American to write a cocktail book in 1919. Um, people in this community knew about Thomas Bullock, but we weren't telling his story. And so now we tell that story. Um, and we again, we see all of that as, as adding, if you want to... If you want to attract, and I don't think it's it's not necessarily necessary to have specific content for a culture of individuals you want to attract to your community, but it does make the visit more rich, more full mm -hmm. when there's some culturally identifiable things that uh, an individual would identify with. And so that was the that was the point of the product development. The third item we asked BTAC to do was business to business. How do we ensure that the economic impact of meetings, conventions, and events, and and leisure visitors can be uh, can be that all people that have a opportunity. We wanted to ensure that all businesses that have a relatable business 
have an opportunity to participate in the economic impact of tourism. And what we know is, you know, you take those 881 meetings, conventions, and events that happen here, and if you just pull out the 150 very large events, and I'm just throwing numbers out. When those events come to town, those citywides, they're going to hire seven or eight local organizations to help them make sure their event is successful, whether it's AV, who knows, the host of different things. And what we knew is that the majority of the time, it was the same businesses that were getting asked to do that. How do you open that up to make sure that there are that there are culturally diverse businesses that have an opportunity to participate in the economic impact of tourism? And so we asked our BTAC to help us identify more businesses, whether it was restaurants, transportation companies, bakers, AV, et cetera, that we could get into our system to make sure when the opportunity came up, these folks would have just as much of an opportunity to bid on a piece of business as anyone else. And so they've done a good job of helping us to um, have a better business to business um, relationship with a lot of different businesses that we didn't have prior to the BTAC. So marketing, product development, and business to business is what we asked the BTAC to do. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Um, in 2020, after George Floyd's murder, you were part of an open letter that was written reflecting on systemic racism in the industry. Can you explain why you felt it was important to write that letter? And do you think things have improved in the industry? Well, I think it was important to write the letter because there's just not a whole lot of folks in leadership that look like me. And I don't think that anyone in the industry denied that that was a fact. Mm -hmm. um, we just and I and when I say the industry, I'm speaking from the DMO CBD side of things. I know our industry is much bigger than that, um, but that's what I'm referring to. And so, yeah, I mean, that that was that's a fact. It's evident, and it's and and quite honestly, I think it still is. I, I mentioned to you, I was at the DI CEO summit. Not a lot of folks in that room that look like me. Um, and so we've got we've got a long ways to go to just you know have a good percentage of our leadership be culturally diverse in this industry. Um, and so you know I, I think that I think we I think the industry, well, let me say this, prior to the pandemic and prior to 2020, you know, Andrea, I can't tell you the number of 
DEI multicultural initiatives that I have sat on through the course of my career in this industry. And great conversations, people that really care. But to my point earlier, there were very rarely any goals ever set. And when there's no goal set, there's usually not much that gets done. Mm -hmm. I think the difference today is that um, there seems to be much more intentionality by a lot of, uh, by many of my peers and their cities and their destinations. Um, just like I talked to you about what we're doing with VTAC here in Louisville, uh, I just, there's more intentionality to um, trying to fill that gap that we have in the industry. And I, and I think now this is just me talking, I, I can't speak for everyone, but you now I've always said, I think we try to just have a diversity program and we go try to grab someone from outside of the industry and bring them in and, um, and try to, fill that box in and say, we've got diversity. And I think what I'd like to see more of is let's let's start with creating partnerships with universities. And if we're just talking about African-Americans for the point of this conversation, you can, you can create relationships with historically black colleges that have a hospitality program. Mm -hmm. Build relationships there where you have partnerships. Then build an internship uh, in your organizations for those individuals at the schools. When you get those folks out of school and they get into your organization, make sure you build out career pathways so that they've got a pathway to, to get into leadership. Because it, it may take 10 years, right. but if you communicate and you have good career pathways for folks, people buy in. And then we gotta have, we gotta have mentorship. You gotta have folks who, Keep an eye out and say, you know, we're we're gonna. I want to see this person through. I want to be their mentor. I want to help them to be successful. But we need more of a grassroots kind of program where we we think long term. And so, if you say today, listen, we're gonna create a university partnership. And what I hope is that in five years or six years, we've added, you know. If we're talking about my organization, you could say we've added six or seven um, culturally diverse individuals to our organization through this partnership, mentorship, internship uh, with these individuals. But I just think we need more of a grassroots effort. And we have to think about it long term and not think about, I want to create a DEI program today and I want to go out and hire a couple of folks that fit that criteria and then we'll be good. That's not going. That's not going to be sustainable long term. You need a long term program. We need to think about our industry and think about young folks we want to bring into our industry that'll be in the industry 15, 20 years from now. So that 15, 20 years from now, when I'm long retired and someone goes to the DEI CEO summit, it's a much more diverse group of people in that room because we invested in bringing young folks along and into our industry. And so that's that's my that's my soapbox moment about. <laughs> so you just talked about the importance of mentorship. Have you had any mentors that helped you get 
to where you are today? Yeah, you know, I saw your question. That's always an interesting question. I had to think about it. You know, I uh, I grew up in a military family. So my brother, my sister, my father, um, who were all passed away, by the way, um, they were all army. And I was the black sheep in the family. And I went to college. And, you know, the interesting thing about growing up in a, a military family is understanding serving others for a greater good. And I learned that. I, I learned about respecting our flag and respecting our, our country um, from my, my father, brother, and sister. And so serving others probably is always with me um, in terms of what I've learned from them. Uh, Industry-wise, listen, Jack Berry in Richmond, Virginia, Andrea, I am not where I am today without Jack Berry, who's the president and CEO of uh, Richmond Region Tourism. Uh, he, he was a great leader, continues to be a good mentor for me. Um, appreciate him every day. Anytime someone asks me a question, I go back and talk about Jack Berry and my time and my 17 years in Richmond working directly with Jack. Um, and then, of course, I've got um, Al Hutchinson, who's president of Baltimore. Uh, Melvin Tennant, who's president of Minneapolis, and Elliot Ferguson, who's president of Washington, D.C., are, are very close friends of mine who I communicate with on a regular basis as we um, we go through everything we go through uh, in these jobs. And so that's probably my answer to that question as far as mentorship. Okay. Um, we touched upon how DMOs must help businesses in their community. Um, can you talk a bit about how you manage political decisions? I mean, it's been a hot button topic, especially yeah. with Roe versus Wade. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was interviewing yesterday and uh, some young students asked me, you know, with the with some of the LGBTQ legislation that the legislators tried to get pushed through this past session, how do you market the city? And I said to them, I market Louisville. And I talk about what we do in Louisville as it relates to human rights um, and being a welcoming destination. Um, I cannot focus in on the state of Kentucky and the legislators. And while I know that impacts Louisville, I know that Louisville does a lot in that space. And so um, that's my focus. I, I will continue to go to the Capitol and lobby and, and tell folks uh, why certain legislation is damaging to bring in visitors to our to our state and to to our city. Um, but when it's all said and done, depending upon how that legislation goes, I go back and I begin to market our city and what we do in this city specifically whether it's being a welcoming environment for all, which includes the LGBTQ community, or for African Americans, or for Hispanic Americans, I try to tell our story, and I try to let Louisville stand on its own merits uh, for people to decide whether it's a place they want to visit and, and will feel comfortable visiting. And telling the authentic story of a destination like yours is important, isn't it? Oh my gosh, yes. I don't... Uh, you know, one of my favorite stories is about Richmond. You know, Richmond's um, Richmond's story is is history. 
But that community did not want to tell that story. They just felt like it was damaging. And they eventually got to a point where that is the foundation. That's the authentic, what authenticates them is the history. You've got to find a way to tell that story in history in a way that visitors can interact with it. Um, and so that's the challenge. But they eventually got to a point where they understood this is what's going to set us apart. This is what our brand's going to be. And similar here with Louisville. Um, we tell the story, you know, next year, the Kentucky Derby will be 150 years old. Wow. The 150th race. That is the history of this community, the bourbon industry and the bourbon, how long the bourbon industry has been in place and tell them the story of the culture, the history, the character, the water, how we got there. Uh, talking about Muhammad Ali and being from here and his humanitarian efforts um, going back to the 60s. And of course, uh, we've got the Louisville Slugger uh, Museum and Bat Factory. And, you know, up until about, I guess, 10, 15 years ago, Louisville Slugger made all the bats for uh, Major League Baseball. And they did for decades. And so there's a real history there. So those are the kind of things you you tell the foundation of what makes you authentic. Um, and then if you want to build some other type of programming uh, on top of that, then that's work. But I think you always have to have the foundation of what makes you authentic, what makes the city what it is um, before you can before you can do anything else. You've mentioned a few times in our conversation the importance of setting goals. Are there any other attributes and qualities that you've developed that have helped you become successful? Well, I, I tell you, um, the um, I don't know that I realized this about myself, but I've been told, and 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 you know, during the pandemic, um, by some of my staff and others, you know, just my ability to learn and allow new facts to change my opinion. You know, I've always been a lifelong learner. Uh, I, I can, I, many times I sit on boards and committees because I want to learn. I want to continue to evolve. And so um, I've continued to, to be that person where uh, there's always new information to read and to understand. I think today I'm, I'm 59. And I think today, you know, me taking my experience and telling a 25-year-old, well, you need to do what I did, and I did this, 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 and this to get to where I was, I, I think that's a mistake today. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think we can... Um, I don't think that's that's the pathway for anyone anyway. It, it was like that for a long time. You know, everyone said, hey, you do this, this, and this is what I did, and you can be successful the same way. The world's changed. Uh, how we work in our offices has changed, what the expectations are. You know, things have changed. And so we all have had to evolve and adapt. And, and so... Yeah, as a, as a leader, I try to be much more open-minded and, and try to help people to get to where they want to get to and not necessarily the same way I got here. 
Um, I, I don't think everything gets thrown out of the window in terms of my journey, uh, but it's 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 not just the black and white of of how I got here um, for how someone can be successful. What is the one thing people would be surprised to learn about you? Uh, well, I am I am much more of an introvert than I think people realize. <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 I guess I'm a social introvert if, if there's <laughs> such a thing. Um, but I yeah, now I'm I, I love just. You know, when the when the when the day is over, when the week is over, you know, I'm real good in my own space, in my own head, and <laughs> spending time on my deck uh, with a little bit of classic jazz and a cigar and a bourbon, and you know, I can sit there for a couple hours on my own. So, um, yeah, I just think I'm probably more of. A, I think people don't think I'm an introvert; they think I'm an extrovert. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm much more of an introvert than people think. And what do you feel the future holds for the industry? No, Andrea, I think it's um, what a little bit of what what we talked about earlier. I think the intentionality around sustainability. And when I talk about sustainability, um, I talk about the balance of environmental, social, and economic sustainability. If you take a look at the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, um, there's so much there uh, in the social space, the economic space. Um, and I think we're gonna see our industry be much more intentional in those spaces in the future. Um, we talked about our LIBA legacy program, what I'm doing with Black Tourism Advisory Council. You know, how do we make the world more equitable? Um, you know, I, I do I do think that our our industry, uh, as you and you did, you asked a great question. I do think our industry is going to have much more of a social impact moving forward in the future, not just talking about economic impact but a social impact within our community. So I, I think that's, I think that's going to be a real, the real future, one of the futures for our industry. We always end our podcast by asking who should we have on one of our upcoming episodes? Yeah. And I thought about that and, and um, you know, I think you should talk to one of the 40 under 40 leaders, someone who has had a, a really good career and fast tracked and they're maybe in their mid to late thirties, but they're in leadership, you know, because I think they're not too far gone. Like I am, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they know, they know technology and think about technology and they look at the world a little differently. Um, but I, I do think we've got to, and I've tried to do it more in my own office, we've got to bring more younger voices to the decision making to uh, of our industry within our own organizations. Uh, so I would suggest you, you find a 40 under 40 person okay. um, and have a conversation with them about, you know, asking them a lot of the questions you just asked me, because I'd be interested to hear that myself.
That sounds great. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for your for your time. Thanks, Angie. I appreciate it. appreciate all the questions and uh, yeah, great conversation. Good. And um, I'll make sure you get the information about the skip meetings for him. That'd be great. Yeah, I've not I've never heard of that, so I'd be interested. Okay, I, I have a lot um, high level respect for what you all do at Skift. Okay, great. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Okay. Bye.